Let's go before him in prayer and get ready for our message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again, Lord, to worship you and thank you for your word that you have recorded for us by the mouth of your holy prophets, by the pens that we detected by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this gospel of John. We thank you for the words of life that were recorded for us, given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we are learning today, Lord, we are going to learn about how we can escape death. For he is going to tell us and say, the one who believes in me shall never see death. And this is the testimony of the gospel. And this is the hope of your people. And I just pray, Lord, that you give these that you have gathered here this morning the understanding of your message, even for those who shall listen some other time from afar as many as have been ordained to life and as many as would give ears to hear. So, Lord, we just ask for help now as we go into your word. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John eight forty-two to 52. John eight forty-two to 52. And as you probably know, we never say, like we said last week, like we said two weeks ago, we never do that. For it gets people lost if you say, because they're thinking, well, what was said last week? <laughs> we never say, if I have something that I need to say from last week, I just say it like you never heard it before. It's very, very purposeful. It makes it easy for everyone. John 8, 42, 52. And I think we are going to have one more sermon from John. Eight. I'm not sure, but I think we're going to have one more next week, the Lord willing, and we're done with John 8. Then we're going to go into John chapter 9. And it's two years, and it's two, we haven't even gotten to half of the book. <laughs> it's been very wonderful. I, I don't know about you. I've, I've been learning a lot. I've been learning a lot. I didn't know all these things that I'm talking about before. <laughs> so praise the Lord for that. So John 8, 42 to 52. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. 
and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never test death. Okay, someone title. Verse 51. Verse 51 is our sermon title. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And as always, we're going to do some background work and keep connecting things. And sometime before the Segas have to live, we'll get to verse 51. There are two kinds of people. Those who belong to God in a salvation sense and those who do not. And we do not arrive at this understanding from man, but from God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a teaching that the Lord was always teaching during his earthly ministry. You have the wheat and the tares. You have the sheep and you have the gods. You have the children of God and you have the children of the devil. Only two groups of people. And all those are just pictures of salvation. Who are the ones that are saved and who are they who are not saved? And his testimony against the unbelieving Jews was not just for them alone, but for all who do not believe his words even now. According to Jesus, there are only two spiritual fathers, God and the devil. You hear a lot of spiritual papas a lot these days. There are a lot of spiritual papas in the prosperity gospel movement. But according to Jesus, there are only two consequential spiritual fathers, God and the devil. The ones who do not believe his words are the children of the devil. That's Jesus' understanding. And those that believe his words are the children of God. So the difference comes down to election. And that election works its way to those who have been elected through faith. God communicates his fatherhood to his children by faith in Christ Jesus. You see the connection. And that answers also Clarissa's question from last week again. That how do I know that I am saved? You believe what Jesus says. Only those who believe what Jesus says belong to God. Do you understand that? Okay, good. So God communicates his fatherhood to his children through faith in Christ Jesus. The devil communicates his spiritual fatherhood to his children by their denial of Christ. And that is a very hard saying. It is a difficult saying. And if what Jesus was saying is true, then man have a serious problem on their hands. And it is a problem that cannot be resolved by our tears, by our money, by our connections, by our bloodline, or anything that is within the reach of man's resources. The Jews were trying to bridge this problem by referring 
themselves to Abraham and saying, Oh, Jesus, we don't need to hear what you have to say. We have Abraham as our father. The Jews, at least those who were not believing what the Lord was saying, thought that it was well with them because they were the physical descendants of Abraham. They connected their salvation to wrong things. They're connecting salvation to wrong things. And we also may fall into the trap of connecting our salvation to a whole lot of things that are not the real things. Coming to church is not the real sign of salvation. Even though those who are saved will come to church. Giving money to the church is not the authentic sign of salvation. But those who are saved also give money to the church. But the most distinguishing factor of those who belong to God is that they believe in Christ Jesus. They believe in Christ Jesus. So the Jews did not understand what it truly meant to be a child of Abraham. They did not understand that it was a spiritual, not a physical connection to Abraham that mattered. It was being born again from above that mattered then and even now. And that this is not in men's hands. And it is only those according to John. Remember Jesus here was recorded as having said this in the book of John. So this is the theology of John. So John is expanding his earlier statement from John 1.13. By the way, all the theology of John is in John chapter 1. Everything that you need to know is in chapter 1. And beyond chapter 1, he is just putting more meat to the skeleton. So in John 1.13, John is said of those who belong to Christ, these are the ones who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. These are they who belong to Abraham as children, those of the same faith of Abraham, those of the same deeds as Abraham, those who are in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Abraham spiritually, then you are also in his seed Jesus Christ. And so effectively, what that is saying is, it's Jesus' way to say the flesh profits nothing when it comes to salvation. The flesh profits nothing when it comes to salvation. If you remember Ishmael, Ishmael was the son of Abraham, and God says, no, not Ishmael. He's not one of yours. He's not one of mine. No, not Esau. And look at Esau, Esau was loved by the father, but still God says, no, 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 not him. It's Jacob. It's Jacob. Esau, I have hated. I mean, like, what did Esau do? God says, I hate him. Okay, so this is where we are. We have to understand that our salvation is only by grace. It's only by grace in Christ Jesus. And this is how he communicates the love that he has for us through faith. So he chooses who gets saved. It's God who chooses 
who gets saved, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. That's from Romans 9. And he saves them in spite of who they are in the flesh. You are saved not because of anything that you are. God saves you because he wants to save you. There's no sin and there's no amount of sin that causes God to say, oh, no, that one is unreachable. He saves as many as have been appointed to life. He saves those in spite of their sins. So he saves them in spite of who they are in the flesh. He saves the drug dealers. He saves the drunkards, the thieves, the murderers, the strippers, the strip joint owner. Why? Because salvation is only of the Lord. And that is why the gospel is a scandal. It has to remain a scandal. Look at the kind of people that he saves. Look at Jesus' guest list. All those who have imperfections. That's Jesus' guest list. These are the ones who are recipients of God's grace. But any who do not hear the words of Jesus Christ shall see death. There are consequences to having the wrong father. There are eternal consequences to having the wrong father. The devil is a deadbeat dad. He does not pay for the upkeep of his children. He has missed all the child support payments. But God the Father has paid for the upkeep of all his children in Christ Jesus. He, through Jesus, paid in full the ransom price for the upkeep of all his children. So there are consequences to having the wrong father. Serious consequences. And there are many who do not hear the gospel. And there are reasons why some don't hear the gospel. Some hear the gospel, but they don't believe it. And it's just not because they can't make sense of it. Yes, they can't make sense of it. But Jesus gives us what is happening behind the scenes, the real reasons why they don't receive the gospel is because of who their father is. The Lord Jesus said in verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech? And he gives them the reason. And says, because you are not able to listen to my word. So in this chapter, John 8 the Lord gives us two reasons as to why certain people do not understand his speech. That is, why certain people do not believe his testimony of himself and the gospel. He says, number one, it is because they are not able to listen to his word. Sinners left to themselves are not able to listen to his word as to obey it and to believe it. Men have no ability in themselves to receive spiritual things and to believe them. And to obey God is to believe what he says about his son. If we are talking about obedience to God, it's believing what he says 
about Jesus Christ. Sinners who are born dead in trespasses and sins have no ability. They have no desire. They have no power to hear spiritual things unless God makes them alive and gives them the strength or the power, gives them the spiritual life, the willingness, the desire, the faith to believe in him. Men are the fallen. We are the ones who are from below. If you still remember what Jesus said. You are from below and I am from above. Those who are born from below are earthy. They are of this world and have no desire or taste for heavenly things in and by themselves. Fallen men think the world is the standard of all things and the best of all things and the end of all things. But that is not true. In Colossians, Colossians 1 Verse 15 to 18, Apostle Paul says, Colossians 1, 15 to 18, He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That means he takes preeminence over all things. For by him, verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And if there's anybody who denies that Jesus Christ is God, there's no gymnastics to make from this teaching. This is very clear teaching, who Jesus is. If there's anything in heaven, it says right here, Jesus is the one who made it. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Which means he holds all things by the word of his power. Everything is in him. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I don't know about you. I can't write statements like that. These are glorious statements. This is heavy theology. And just thinking that this was written some 2,000 years ago, even professors at the biggest universities in the world cannot come up with theology like that. <laughs> so praise the Lord for that. But here this some more, Romans eleven thirty six. For of him, Christ, and through him, and to him, are all things, to whom be glory forever. All things in creation are to the glory of Christ. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So all things were created by his will for his glory and his honor and to demonstrate his power. 
So the word is not the end of things. The word is just a wilderness place. It is the desert place. It is the place of the dead and the dying. It is the place of the blind, of those beaten by fiery serpents, the place of those who are sick, lame, poor, the bent and bowed down. It is the place of those who are bleeding to death, silently dying and silently dropping to the place of no hope, hell, and never coming out and never having any relief forever, whatsoever. The world is under a curse because of sin and desperately needs a savior, a God-man, a perfect man, a perfect sacrifice to come and lift it from its curse. This is why Jesus came. The world needs a curse bearer because the curse on it is too heavy a burden to be lifted by a crane. You can't use a crane to lift the curse that's on you. The curse on the world and its inhabitants requires omnipotent power to lift. Thanks to Joe Austin and his theologian counterpart. What's the name of the wife? And Victoria. I think he said last week that God is not omnipotent. I don't know if you saw that. It was all over on Facebook. God is not omnipotent. I don't know where he got that from. So the curse on the world requires omnipotent power to lift it. Otherwise it can't be done. And the Jews are stared in their faces by one who can bear their case, bear the shame, bear their sin, so as to remove it, but they don't want anything to do with him. They are stared in their faces by their only hope, but they want to overcome him and to put him out, to extinguish his light, but darkness did not comprehend the light. Darkness did not put out the light. They did not overcome the light. For it was impossible to extinguish this light. Because this light is the life of the world. He has life in himself. You can't take his life away from him. So they think Jesus is their enemy. And so they abuse him with abusive speech. Jesus, you were born of fornication, they say. No, friends, you don't understand. If Jesus was born of fornication, he can't save you. That would make him a sinner. No, Jesus is from above. He was not born of fornication. To be born of fornication is to be born already under the curse of the first Adam. But this one was conceived of the Holy Spirit, a body you have prepared for me, Jesus says. And even his body did not decompose in the grave. Jesus' body, even though he was dead for three days and three nights, it did not suffer decay. It was holy and undefiled. And if you still remember Psalm 16.10, it says, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
So these who have, these who oppose Jesus have a different spiritual father. They belong to their father, the devil, and they do the deeds of their father. Their deeds are summed up in unbelief. Their deeds are summed up in unbelief, which leads them to want to kill Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 45 of John 8, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. And so here, Jesus gives us another mark of those who belong to God. He says, if one belongs to God, they hear God's words. That is, they believe what Jesus says about God, what Jesus says about himself, what Jesus says about them. And they continue to believe Jesus' words. You are not entitled to your opinion about you. It's what God says about you that matters. And God says, guess what? You are in the wilderness. You are the sick, the blind, and the lame. And you need me that you may pass from death to life. Jesus says, men are born as slaves to sin. If you still remember that. And Jesus was basically saying, men are born a slave to sin, and if you belong to God, you hear that, and you amen that. You believe that. You do not argue with that. And you don't try to explain it away. Why? Because if you belong to God, he gives you his spirit to bring the same testimony of God in you, to make you say the same confession that God says about Jesus and about you. The Holy Spirit confirms the words of God as true. Jesus says, if one does not hear as to believe his words, then they do not belong to God. They do not belong to God. And there are many who claim to belong to God but who are opposed to the very words of Jesus. This is serious business if Jesus is telling the truth. And we say Jesus is telling the truth. He's telling the truth. Jesus says, one hears because they are of God. They do not hear to be of God. They are sheep, and that is why they hear. They are wheat, and that is why they are gathered into the barn. And that is enough to destroy free world teaching if man would hear what the Lord is saying. He says you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel because you already belong to God. You don't hear so as to belong to God. Jesus is talking about election here. You hear because you already belong to God. He's talking about election. It is election according to grace that sets one on the path of hearing God. God is in the business of magnifying his grace 
to all those that he saves. And so he chose all those who believe not because he foresaw who would believe. Or he foresaw that Stan would believe. I'm like, okay, I'm going to choose him. <laughs> Look at, was busy just searching in the heart of men. See, okay, who has the right heart? Who has the right level of cholesterol in their heart that I may choose them? No, it doesn't work like that. Those whom he chose by his grace, he causes to believe. And he gives them faith as a sign that they belong to him. Give them faith as a sign and testimony that they belong to him. But this kind of teaching that leaves men helpless in the hands of God is not very popular. It's not liked in the church. Sinners don't like that kind of teaching. And so people will find a way to explain it away and say, but God gave all men free will. If God gave all men free will, and free will is what one needs to believe the gospel, then all men would believe the gospel. If free will is the reason why people believe the gospel, and God has given it to all, then all should believe the gospel. But if free will could make men believers, then why don't other people believe? Why don't others believe? No, that is false teaching. That is contrary to what Jesus is teaching. It is just a way to say, we will not let this man to rule over us. And so the Jews were infuriated by the teaching of the Lord and had to find a way to explain away what the Lord was saying. Verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They are trying to explain away and to stop Jesus. That's the point. And so they came with a twofold charge that was supposed to silence the Lord. And it always happens when you claim that God is truly and absolutely sovereign. Especially in salvation. Sinners will immediately say, so are you saying God is the author of evil? And that is supposed to make you sound ridiculous and to shut you up. That's the point. Make you sound very crazy. But God has never had problems with evil as to lose sleep over it. He is God. He ordained it to his glory. And your sin and mine do nothing to him. This is what he said in Job 35. You have to remember this verse. Job 35, 6-8. Job 35, 6-8. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or... If your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you and your righteousness a son of man. So God says, whether you are righteous or wicked, it doesn't really help him. (laughs) So all things are the way that they are. To display his glory. 
He is displaying his glory. He is not receiving glory. He is displaying what he already is. God is not being made better. But the Jews have some really offensive words to say to Jesus. Jesus, you are a Samaritan. But not only that, you are also demon-possessed. You are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Let us look at that. Let's get some understanding. To be a Samaritan was a curse word. The Samaritans were a mixed breed between the Israelites from the ten lost tribes, the northern kingdom, and the Assyrians and other foreign populations. They only held to the Pentateuch, which is the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. They only held to the first five books of the Old Testament as the word of God and considered Jews heretics. They also traced their bloodline back to the patriarchs. John 4, verse 12. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with Sister Samaritan at the well. When the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, Verse 12, John 4, verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? You see what she says? She identifies herself with the great patriarch Jacob, which Jacob was also the great patriarch of the Jews. There was a lot of unsettled theological issues between the Jews and the Samaritans. And we get it again from Sister Sarah Samaritan. John 4, verse 19 to 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So there we have the theological issues. They do hold to a theology that was different from the Jews. The Samaritans have a different theology as to worship, the location of worship. The Jews claimed orthodoxy was only found in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans said, no, it is found on Mount Gerasim. And the Samaritan woman, on perceiving that Jesus could be a prophet, wanted him to settle the issue for her. Not that it really mattered at this point. It was just a convenient way of trying to change the subject away from what Jesus was working about in life. It was a diversion that did not work. Jesus was on her to talk about her and her sin and her salvation. And she thinks, okay, what a beautiful moment for me. Let me distract Jesus. We have some Arminianism and Calvinism debate now, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Woman, you worship, but you know not what. <laughs> so, according to John, in the same chapter, the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other. Because the Samaritans 
were considered inferior people. And that is why the Samaritan woman was amazed when Jesus asked her for a drink. And so the Jews threw this at Jesus and said, you are a Samaritan. You are such a lowly person. And guess what? You are a heretic too. But even more, you are also demon-possessed. And the Jews have also called Jesus demon-possessed in different places, like in John 7.20. In John 7.20, I believe it's still the same crowd. They said to Jesus, the people answered and said to Jesus, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. They were seeking to kill him. John 10, 19 to 21. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Luke 11, verse 14 to 15, verse 14 and 15. Luke 11, 14 and 15. And he was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. These are, of course, all false accusations to make Jesus look bad. And people have not stopped doing that. People will throw mud at you if they think that will help to silence you and make themselves look better. It is a very dirty old trick. And sinners love to use it because it works. But not against Jesus. Jesus always divides opinion. It is unavoidable. If you think you are peaceful, just as we read let me backtrack to John 10, 19, 21. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? This is one group that is opposed to Jesus because of what he was saying. And yet others, that's another group. These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Jesus always divides opinion. So if you think you're peaceful, just say things that are true about Jesus and his gospel and see how long that peace lasts. The Jews call Jesus a Samaritan and that's abusive speech. In our culture, that would be considered hate speech. But the charge is saying, you are inferior. You are a heretic. You are Involved in false worship by your huge claims about having come from God. Also, you called us children of the devil, but we are better than you. We are sons and children of Abraham, even of God. You, on the other hand, are actually possessed by the devil. A person who is demon-possessed is uncontrollable. They are unclean. They are evil. And this is tit for tat. And the Jews are not holding back any punches. 
the hatred between the Jews and Jesus is on the rise. Why? Because we are moving towards the cross. We are moving towards the cross. That's where all this is going. But 49, verse 49, verse 49, John 8. But Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. See what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not answer or respond to the charge of being a Samaritan. He purposefully ignored it. He is the savior of the world. And he has his elect from among the Samaritans. He has saved the Samaritan woman and the many people in her village in John chapter 4. But he answers to this other charge and says, I do not have a demon and the things that I say honors my father. The Lord is on a mission to do the will of the father. The father sent him and yet they dishonor him. So in dishonoring Jesus, they are also dishonoring the very God that they claim to be their father. And Jesus was not seeking his own glory in this because he was seeking the glory of the one who sent him his father. Verse 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Jesus says, you refuse to hear my speech. And yet you claim to belong to God and to Abraham. But here is what is at stake. This is no presidential primaries debate. This is not a big kids, small kids table talk. This is not about balancing the budget. This is about your salvation, people. This is about your ever-living, never-dying soul. You have a very big problem that you are blind to. You are blind to your problem and you are blind to the consequences of your problem. You are in bondage to sin and the consequences of sin. If you continue this way, you shall die and death is not as natural as you think it is because of sin that you die. And yet you deny that you are in bondage to sin. It is because of the law of God that says the soul that sins, it must die. But there's a better way. A sure way out of sin and death. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps Jesus' word, they shall never see death. That is a negative statement to affirm the positive. He shall never, never see death. And all of man's trouble... This is the biggest one that they have to deal with. How not to see death. And that is the issue of the gospel. That is what the gospel is about. Because you and I are born subject to death because of sin. And Jesus is the solution to death and sin. And he says, 
the one who keeps his word shall never see death. And the Lord has already talked to this in previous conversations. John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 8, 31 to 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall set you free. John 3, 14 to 16. The Lord is talking to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, see where the serpent was lifted up. In the wilderness, in the place of death, in the desert, in the place where all men are bound to sin. That's where the serpent is raised. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish that's death, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The one who hears Jesus' word and believes has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, shall not come into the judgment unto death but has passed from death to life. And that is a very incredible and remarkable statement by Jesus. Jesus says, the hearing and keeping of his words causes one to escape death. The hearing of Jesus' words is tied to life. This is unbelievably authoritative. There's no man who has ability to make such a statement. How does Jesus know that? Where did Jesus get the authority to say such a statement that if someone believes in him, that person is as good as judged? This is some very important theological understanding that we have to have to properly evaluate what Jesus is saying. Life cannot be given unless one has been judged. The sentence of acquittal cannot be pronounced if you have been in prison unless there's been a judgment. There has to be a judgment and one has to have been found 100% in conformity with God's requirements for life. Perfection before his holy law. You have to be judged as having been 100% in conformity with the law of God before God says, guess what? You have life. There has to be a judgment before life can be given. And so where did Jesus get the understanding that if one believes, it means they've already been judged or they already possess life? They are already justified. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying the one who believes is already 
justified. There's never going to be some other time to come and sit before God as to determine your eternal state. Jesus is here talking about your eternal state. Not only that, Jesus say, the one who hears his words, they exist now, now, in a state in which they shall never die. Death has no more authority over them because God has put something bigger and more powerful in its place. The life of God himself. Eternal life. That's the only way you never see death. Is only if you already possess life. That's the only way that you never die. And Jesus says, this life is given to those who believe. But those who believe do so because they already possess it. How? Because they belong to the Father already. They belong to the Son already. And the Son will be judged in their place. The Son will be judged in their place. The Son will die in their place. A death that removes their own death. The Son will fulfill the law in their place. The Son will remove sin and the curse of sin in their place. And so, the result of believing in Jesus for a sinner is that they pass from death to life, from condemnation to justification. The result of believing in Jesus is that you do not suffer the consequences of your sin. And it is a very simple transaction. God has reduced salvation to this simple transaction. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Is that all? Yes, that is all. That is too easy. That's too easy, Stan. Give me something to do. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the hardest thing for one to ever do. And that is why many add conditions to it. Because they just don't feel that that's enough. So they stumble at the simplicity of the transaction of the gospel of grace. It needs God to get you to believe. No man can cause another man to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible. But the transaction still remains simple. The transaction of salvation remains simple. You remember the Philippian jailer, Acts 16. We're going to go there. Acts 16, verses 25 to 31. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. These are guys who were incarcerated and they were still praising God in their distress. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, 
supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Verse 29, Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Says, what must I do to be saved? And here, if you're going to a lot of churches, you're going to be hearing in the next 15, 20, 30 minutes, the things that you have to do to be saved. You need to be baptized. You need to take this class. You need to. But this is what they said. Paul and Silas. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And that was not saying the household was saved on account of the faith of the one person. It was saying if he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and his household also believed in the Lord Jesus Christ because that is the only way that they can be saved, they all will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the simplicity of the transaction of salvation. But let's go again to Acts chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. You remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the book of Isaiah about the suffering servant. And he didn't know what he was reading about. And Philip shows up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone shows me? It's the use of instruments. God uses instruments to bring understanding to the things that you're reading. But in this part of the conversation, let's go to verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Let's comment a little on that. There is no formula to presenting the gospel. You begin the gospel wherever God gives you to begin. You don't have to have some rot formula to say, okay, let's go the Roman road with everyone. No, you deal with each person according to the situation that God has given you. It may begin with tithing. And every time that you have that, you know it's a gospel question. It begins with sickness. It begins with new covenant, old covenant. Whatever it is, it's saying, take them to Jesus. That's the formula. So beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down, They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the child to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. There was no baptism class. What is to prevent me? What hinders me from being baptized? Is there some other work that needs to be done for me to be saved? And Philip says, no, 
Just believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I'm going to be working more on that at the conference. It's part of my message. It is still the same transaction today. If you believe with your heart that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God, you shall be saved. And no one preached the law to these guys either. Because there are some who insist that you have to always preach the law to someone before you teach them the gospel. No, not always. The Lord Jesus Christ never was preaching the law all the time. It depended on the situation and the kind of people that were coming to him. They preached Jesus Christ. They preached Jesus Christ. God serves whichever way he wants. And back to keeping the words of Jesus Christ. We are working in the keeping of Jesus' words and death. To keep the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe in him, his gospel, and to keep believing. Those who abide, those who remain in his word are his disciples indeed. The disciples of the Lord remain in his teaching. But who are these that remain who keep the Lord's word? It is those that the Father gave to him. It is these that he came to die for on the cross. It is they who are born again of the Holy Spirit. Born again not by the will of man. Not by blood or of the flesh, but of God. It is they who have been given the living water like Sister Samaritan. It is they who do the work of God, which is to believe in him whom he sent. It is they who have been taught of God. It is they who do the deeds of Abraham. And Jesus says, these who never testeth. But Abraham died. Abraham died, but he did not test death. But Jesus says, those who belong to him will never test death. Lazarus died, but he never saw death. They only walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to get some understanding because Jesus has to have some other understanding of dying, which is not just being lifeless. There's some other understanding because his promise is the one who believes in me never. They never see death. They never see death. And later on, I don't know if it's today or next week, Jesus is going to argue or argues that God is the God of the living. He is the God of Abraham. So how can he be the God of Abraham if Abraham died? So Abraham never died. So, these Abraham, Lazarus, and all the saints who died believing in Jesus, they never saw death. They only walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23, verse 1 to 6. The Lord gave me some understanding there. That I was hoping the Segas will hear before they leave. Psalm 23, 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me 
beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the reason why those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ don't die. It's given here in this psalm. They don't die because the Lord is their shepherd. He feeds his sheep with spiritual nourishment in green pastures. He restores their soul. He walks them in the paths of righteousness, possessing his righteousness. And even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is, the places of deep darkness, they will fear no evil, because death is a place of darkness, of deep darkness, where there's no light, and you are just by yourself. But the Lord says, He leads us. He goes with us. He leads us in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. But see this. Those who believe only see the shadow of death, but not the substance of death. Very important theological understanding. Those who are being led by the good shepherd, they only see the shadow, but not death itself. Now, a shadow does not kill anyone. I don't know if anyone has ever been killed by a shadow. The shadow of a lion cannot do anything to me. It's the lion that has to come and get me. Now, the shadow has no power. It may scare you, but it has no power over you. And those who are in Christ are said only to walk in the shadow of death, not in death itself. You only walk in the shadow of death and they shall not fear when they die. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are the equipment of protection of the good shepherd. Any good shepherd anywhere in the world has to have some equipment for protection. And Jesus says, those of his people, his saints, when they walk, they only walk in the valley of the shadow of death. And they don't fear. The Lord will have his saints in their death. And he will comfort them. That is why Jesus is God. He is able to receive worship on his throne. And at the same time, will be gathering all his people every second as they come to him. So he will comfort them by himself. And he even said, I will receive you unto myself. He prepares a table before me in the midst of my enemies. What are your enemies? It's the devil. It's death. 
And a table is a place of rest and nourishment. And the Lord prepares it in the presence of your enemies. He anoints with oil. What's that? With the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Surely, the psalmist says, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Ever. But those who are still under the power of death, it is more than just having their heart stopping to pump blood. Death is more than mechanical failure. It's not just a car that runs out of batteries. Death is spiritual. It is a spiritual separation from God. It is required because of who God is. God will not attach himself to those who are dead. For he is the God of the living. Death is painful. Death is eternal. The rich men and Lazarus and Abraham. The rich man was dead because he was in torment. Lazarus and Abraham were alive. They were not dead. That's the picture of death. It's torment. It's painful. It causes unending fear. Even after your body has been buried. Because the rich man's body had already been buried. And yet he was still dying. Lazarus was dead. His sisters wept for him. And so did Jesus. But in Jesus' understanding, Lazarus was not just dead. He was sleeping. Lazarus was sleeping. Lazarus was sleeping only because he walked through in the valley. He was elect. For we are told in John 11 that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Lazarus. Oh, how he loved him. There's some understanding here that you've probably been reading and not paying attention to from the psalm that we just read. The psalm says, walking through. If you are walking or passing through, it means you are getting to the other end. I'm driving through Columbus to Cincinnati. It means I am not going to stay in Columbus. I am on my way to Cincinnati. Those who are in Christ walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They walk through. Because they have some other destination that they're going to. Those who are not in Christ never walk through. They actually walk in the valley, not of the shadow, but of death itself. The shadow is only for the saints. The shadow is only for the saints. Those who are in Christ only walk in the shadow. But those who are not in Christ walk in death itself forever with no shepherd. They have no shepherd to lead them out of it. Do you hear me? They have no nourishment to refresh them. They have no righteousness. They are not passed over by death. So all those who belong to Christ, 
they are physically separated from their life on earth, but they are still the living. God is not called by the names of those who have died, never, but those who live. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And those who believe in Christ are the living. Death has no more jurisdiction or power over them. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 88. Sorry, not to 88. <laughs> 1 Corinthians verse 15, 45 to 58. That will be our last teaching for today. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 58. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Adam was a living being, but had no life in himself to give. He was natural. He was a man of the earth. He was made of dust. And he had no righteousness to give you. He had no life to give you even if he obeyed God perfectly. He can only give you what he had. If he's from the dust, he can only give you the best that dust gives. Okay? It is the second Adam, the life-giving spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second man from heaven who gives life and righteousness. The first Adam was only a shadow, a type of the one who was to come. Verse 49 and 59. Sorry, verse 49 and 50. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. All men have the image of the man of the dust, but not all who bear the image of the heavenly man. But the apostle says, but as is the heavenly man, so also are those that are heavenly. They bear the image of the heavenly one. So we have two kinds of men there. Two kinds of people as we have been learning. Those who bear the image of the dust alone are flesh and blood. Those who bear the image of the men from the dust are flesh and blood and cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the men of the dust and those who bear his image alone are corrupted. Heaven is incorruptible. Therefore, you can't inherit incorruption if you do not bear the image of the one who is heavenly. Verse 51 to 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So in the language of those who belong to Christ, they sleep. They sleep. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The dead who bear the image of the heavenly will be raised incorruptible according to his image. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So it is when we have put on incorruption, even to our bodies, that death shall have no more say in any way over us. Our members will not ever be subject to death and will sing the happy song. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? There is no victory for death for those who are in Christ. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And if you remember, I call that the triangle of sin, law, and death. And that is the problem that every man has. Sin, law, and death. Death came by sin, and the law kept us under sin, and all need to be taken care of. Sin, law, and death have to be taken care of before you can receive incorruption. And Jesus takes care of all of them, the law by fulfilling it, sin by removing its curse, and death by his death and resurrection. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the victory over sin, law, and death is from God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the basis on which Jesus says, the one who believes in me will never test death. Will never. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So the apostle says, based on what Christ has done for us, based on the victory that God has given us in Christ, be immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor will never be in vain. Hebrews 2.9, Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might test death for everyone. The ones who are in Christ will never test death. They will never experience death. Because Christ experienced death in a way that you can't experience death. Christ died a different death than the death that you and I are going to die. So Jesus already tested death for us. For everyone who believes, not for everyone who ever lived, no. 
for everyone who keeps his words. The ones who believe the gospel. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15, and we'll finish. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. People are afraid of dying. And the writer says, Jesus said in our humanity that by his death, through his death, he may destroy the works of the devil, the murderer who brought death and continues to cause people to be afraid of death, to be afraid of God's judgment. And so the victory of Christ releases us from the fear of death. Now the question is, for every sinner, for every man, for every child, what shall I do not to see death? That is to be the gospel question. What shall I do to not see death? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? How shall I approach God in peace? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer has already been provided. The one who hears and keeps my words, the Lord said. The Ethiopian eunuch, what is preventing me from getting baptized? I believe Jesus is the son of God. Repent and believe and you shall be saved. You and your household. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall never see death. It doesn't say... Stop every sin that he ever committed and he shall say no. Turn to Christ. Turn to his gospel. And you shall never see death. And that's the message of the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as those who have been given the grace to hear the words of Jesus, to believe in his gospel, And we pray, Lord, that you cause us to keep his words. Because left to ourselves, we are prone to wonder. And Lord, we pray to thank you for revealing the way of life. The way of escaping death. For there are many, even as I was sharing this word, who have already died. The real death. And yet there are many also who have just walked through the valley of the shadow of death with their good shepherd, who will lead them in the path of righteousness. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who has given us the life of Christ. We thank you for the oil of gladness. We thank you, Lord, for the message of God's grace through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the victory of Christ. We thank you for what Christ did to leave his Father's throne and to come and humble himself, that he may share in our humanity That he may destroy the works of the evil one. To destroy death. By his own death. That we may not have fear. And Lord this is the gospel. And may you cause the people. To really understand what the gospel is about. It's not about. The things that we think. It is about. About the things of the world that are perishing. The world. Is perishing. But the gospel. Is for things that abide. 
things that remain forever and ever. Lord, we just pray for your people as they go out. May you keep them, strengthen their faith. Help them in their weakness. May you bring them again next week that we may continue to hear. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.